that uh, convinced Eve that what God said wasn't true and caused her to partake of the fruit and then cast all of us into uh, sin. In addition to that, we have now, we're, we're generations away from that, but we're still seeing that same thing taking place today where there are men all over our world and women as well that are promoting um, error, uh, things that are opposed to Scripture. And it's important that we're aware of that because I think we live in a generation that is probably, you know, it's like we, every generation looks at theirs and says ours is the worst, right? And uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, man, it will never be worse than this. And now I'm an adult. It's like, man, it's worse than it was when I was a kid. And, and, and uh, we can't fathom what it's going to be like for the next generation and beyond that. But really, it's kind of a similar theme, isn't it? It seems like it's just this constant uh, decline and uh, sin being just prominent in our world, and there's always false teachers. There's always people out there that are promoting something that's not true, it's not biblical, and trying to lead people away from the truth. And so in Matthew 24 will be kind of our jumping off point because Matthew 24 deals with signs that you're in the last days. And one of the signs that we're in the last days is that there'll be false teachers, what's referred to in our text as false prophets, but um, because we don't use that term readily here in our culture today, we're going to just call them false teachers. But it's those who promote things that are contrary to the scriptures. And, um, and in Matthew 24, some of, uh, one of the signs, uh, one of many of signs that we have that we're in a... Uh, in the last days is that we have many false teachers. They're, they're all around us, and they're promoting things that are, would be contrary to what we know of as biblical truth. And so it's important for us to be aware of these things and also to be prepared to identify them and then to respond to them properly. And um, because we live in a generation that has a strong em- emphasis or a, a, a many uh, false teachers in our world, there is, a, there is a significance placed on being discerning and being able to distinguish what is true and what is not and then make a, a proper response to it. So in Matthew 24, we're going to read uh, a few sections, if you will, of this passage beginning in verse number four and we'll read a few verses and then we'll skip down to um, the middle of that chapter Verse 4 says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these but the beginning of or but the beginning of the birth pains. And so the last days are described in the in the text as being uh, like a woman who is in labor, a woman who is getting ready to have a baby and things are going to intensify. There's there's a, a, a frequency of events that are going to begin to take place more readily and, and quickly, and you're going to see things happen happening more consistently as we get close to the, to the end events. And we're going to see, the Bible talks about the increase in famines, 
um, pestilences, which would be disease. We're going to see the increase in uh, wars, conversations about wars, talks about wars. If you watch the news today, you'll, you'll hear of wars being spoken of right now in, in Russia and, and other places as well. There's buildups all around our, our, our globe of, of wars getting ready to take place, that, that are being set up to take place. This is, this is not, so, 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 so get this, I mean, you got COVID going on, you got the, the pestilence, the sickness, you've got famine going on where there is a lacking of food. Um, you you can't and you, you go to we went to a few restaurants this week and it's like oh we don't have that right now we can't offer you that any longer it's and, and obviously we're we're a far cry from being at a state of of not having but what we're seeing is is we're seeing the increase in these types of things taking place around around the world and we need to be we need to be aware that this is not he says in the text he's like I don't want you to be alarmed. So when you see these things happening as believers, the first thing that he wants to be aware of is don't be, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed by these things happening because this is not, the end has not yet happened. Now, there are other things that still need to take place before the end will come. One of the things that's going to take place is people are going to say that there is, the, there is a Messiah here, there is a Messiah or the Christ. Many will say that there is a Christ and, and that they are the Christ and the Christ here just is a term that's used, it's, it's, a, it's a, more of a title that's used to describe someone who sets themselves up as the deliverer. So, 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 get me, so don't get me wrong, people are, people are out there today and they're looking for this person that comes out and says, I'm Jesus, right? And so as long as nobody's saying that they're Jesus, then there's nobody saying that they're the Christ. Well, that's not true. Anybody who sets themselves up and says, I'm the deliverer, they are saying, I am the Christ. I am the one who has been chosen to bring deliverance. That's what we need to be watchful for in the last days, and we need to be um, discerning about, because that's the principle of the Antichrist that's going to come on the scene, is he's going to be a deliverer who is going to deliver people from something that's going to be worldwide. He's going to deliver them from it, and he's going to immediately be exalted to a state of worship. Okay, so if you're looking for someone with the name Jesus, you might not ever find that. If you're looking for somebody who sets themselves up as the deliverer, then you're going to probably find that in the last days. And matter of fact, 1 John says that there are already many antichrists amongst us. There are already many, and it doesn't mean that there are people walking around saying, I'm Jesus. What it means is, is there are many who are walking around saying that I'm the deliverer. I'm the one who's going to set you free. You no longer need to go to Jesus for deliverance, and it's not just from your sins, it's simply deliverance in general. You no longer need to go to Jesus for deliverance. You can now go to this or that. They will deliver you. This is the, this is the nature, if you will, of the Antichrist. This is how things are going to be in the last days, which points out that we are in the last days. If, if you skip down... To verse 23, <clears throat> the Bible goes on to say, If anyone says to you, look, here is the deliverer, here is the Christ, or, or there he is, do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. 
So, so just really, it's like they're, they're, the, 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 the deliverer is being pointed out in all different places. He's, he's over here, he's over there, but he's not the deliverer. Jesus is the deliverer. He's the only one that can deliver us. He's the only one that can truly deliver us from anything. There's a lot of counterfeit deliverances that we see in our world today that, that seek to, to offer deliverance that is, that is both temporary and, and, and often faulty. Or, or let me say it a better way, are always faulty. Christ is the only one that can truly bring deliverance, and the more we, the more we live, the longer we live, we, we become aware of that. He goes on to say um, in verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so this is just talking about the miraculous nature of Christ's coming. It's going to be quick, and it's going to be miraculous, like the light flashing from one end of the earth to the other. That's going to be the coming of the Son of Man. So, so anybody who comes along along the way that says that they're the, ones that, they're the Messiah, they're the deliverer, and not just necessarily from our sins, but from anything that presses us away from Christ, we're, we're called to, to be resistant to that. At the end of our Bibles in the book of Revelation, you're familiar with, the, you're familiar with the, the last book of the Bible, which is a prophetic book that describes for us the end times and the things that are going to take place. Twice at the end of Revelation in chapter 13 and verse 18, which is dealing with the Antichrist, and then in chapter uh, 17, which is also dealing with the Antichrist, in both of these texts, the Bible tells us that we are called to be wise. And the word wise here means to be discerning. In both of these texts, things are going to be taking place in the last days that are going to call for men to be discerning. They're going to call for us to be able to discern what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, who is telling us the truth and who is not telling us the truth. And those who are not discerning as the last days come about are going to be in danger of falling prey to the deception of the Antichrist, the deception of the false prophet. They're going to be, they're going to be um, prone to giving in to, their, to, that, to the ways of these, what we would call false, or these leaders that are going to be leading astray. Matthew 10 and verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Right? I'm sending you out. He's telling his disciples he's going to send them out. He's going to leave them here ultimately in the earth as he's going to resurrect into the, in the heavens. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And may I suggest to you that the, the, the greatest struggle that we deal with in our world today and one of the greatest, I think, accomplishments of Satan is, is that we don't believe there are wolves anymore. And one preacher, a preacher once said that Satan's greatest accomplishment was that he convinced mankind that he didn't exist. And if, he does, if, if, if we're convinced of that, if we're convinced that there's no wolf, there's no, reason to be, there's no reason to be discerning, there's no reason to even be watchful because there is no enemy. And this is the way in which the devil has manipulated uh, mankind, and I mean, let's just be really honest. This is the way that the devil has manipulated Christians into, uh, or professing Christ, Christians into falling prey to thinking that there is no enemy. The enemy is very, very present amongst us today, and very, very powerful. 
And he's seeking to deceive us. So what he says here, again, Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, and be discerning as serpents, and innocent as doves. So in other words, the, 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 the instruction of the Lord, in, in, in light of the fact that we are, we are sheep amongst wolves, we're to be discerning, we're to be wise, and we're to be untainted by the world. If you look at uh, James 1, it says that very thing, that true religion and undefiled is to visit the widows and the orphans and to be untouched by the world, to be unstained by the world, to be uninfluenced by the world. That's what we're called to do. That's the way that we're going to be able to make it during these difficult times. We must remember, well, let, me, let, me, let me give you this quote and then we'll go on. Spurgeon said this, discernment is not knowing Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Discernment isn't knowing the difference between black and white. It's knowing the difference between white and gray. It's knowing the difference between black and gray. Discernment is being able to see what is happening at all these different levels. We must remember that in Scripture, there's a difference given between sheep, goats, and wolves. Sheep are those who follow Jesus. Goats are those who have a limited knowledge of Jesus. Perhaps they are unsure of Jesus, but they're unbelievers, but yet not, they're not wolves. They're not out trying to bring, uh, bring down Christ. And then obviously wolves who are those who are teaching and leading others away from Christ. 1 John 2.18, I quoted it to you earlier. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, we can all say amen to that, right? Children, it is the last hour, and this is John writing uh, 2,000 years ago. Children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And then he says this, so now many Antichrists have already come. So now many Antichrists have already come. And we're looking for this future Antichrist, and I totally believe and, 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 and see it in Scripture that there is, this, there, is this, there is this main character that's going to be here during the tribulation period that's going to establish a great deception. But what he's saying to them is, be watchful now because there are many Antichrists already amongst you. And we talk about a lot of the things you read through the book of Revelation, you see a lot of the things that are futuristic, and we, and we almost take comfort in the fact that they're futuristic, and the Lord says those things are already amongst you. They're already there. You're already, you're already being inundated with different things that are pressing you towards the mindset of the Antichrist. There are already many Antichrists amongst us. He says at the end of the verse, therefore, therefore we know that this is the last hour. Therefore, we know that we're in the last days. We know that because all of these things are presently happening amongst us. Now, this is why we can read a passage like, John, like Matthew 24 and have it say to us, be watchful, be watchful, be watchful, be watchful. And we're like, why do I need to be watchful if I know that these things have to happen first? Because a lot of them are already happening amongst us. 
The urgency is real. The end of the Bible, uh, the 22nd chapter of Revelation, it says clearly that the Lord is coming quickly. He's coming soon. So we need to be watchful. We need to be discerning. We need to be able to know right from wrong. We need to be able to know what's going on around us and, and how, the, how, how to identify what is right and what is wrong and then what to do about it. We know this in the case of sheep and goats. We're to be gentle. We're to be patient. and We're to be kind and gracious. All of these things are true when you're dealing with sheep and goats. We're not to be mean to them. We're not to be harsh to them. We're to treat them with uh, uh, kindness and, and gentleness and, and seek to influence them with the truth. But when it comes to false teachers, when it comes to wolves, we're not to treat them with the same type of kindness. We're not to treat them with the same type of gentleness. Because we live in a culture today that, are full, that is full of rhetoric professionals, meaning people that are professional um, with their words, we are far more prone to being led astray by these false teachers, these false systems of belief. I want to look at uh, just three things, and you can see it in your, in your notes there, three things that will help us along the way. What I want you to know in, in advance before we get into the three main thoughts that we'll look at is what I want you to note is that false teachers aren't always religious. Okay, false teachers aren't always religious. We look for false teachers in religion, but we need to understand that false teachers are everywhere in our culture. They're in varying aspects of life. Yes, there are false teachers in religion. We know that. We see that throughout Scripture. But the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, who is a false teacher, is going to be a false teacher that's very political. He's going to be a very political leader. So there's not only false teachers in religion, but there's false teachers in politics. There's false teachers in media. There's false teachers in, in, in entertainment. We see it in Matthew 24 when he says that those are false teachers who lead other people astray. They're all over the place. All over the world, we're being, people are being led astray by false teachers. And because we are prone to just looking for them in the church and watching out for them in the church, we've adopted a lot of things in our lives that are not religious in nature, but are still pressing us away from Christ, still pressing us away into, into error. And so we see, this, we see this throughout our world today. Again, we see it in religion, but we also see it in politics, media, entertainment, and in other places as well. You could probably name some places off yourself where you see false teaching taking place. You see people being led astray. So let's look at three things this morning. First of all, we're going to look at defining false teachers. Defining false teachers, distinguishing false teachers, and lastly, um, uh, responding to false teachers. And I'm going to give you dealing with false teachers for that alliteration for you to help you remember that. Defining false teacher. What is... What is a false teacher? What is a false prophet, as some might refer to uh, them? The first thing that we note about them is that they believe, they believe something that is not true, or they believe something that is false. 
They believe something that is in error. Something is flawed about their belief system. Again, it's not just their religious belief system, but their belief system in general. Something is flawed about their belief system in general, or something about their belief system is in error. The Bible tells us in, in defining this in Romans 16, 17, it says, I, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So these would be people who would be uh, living or, or teaching or acting in such a way that would be contrary to what the Word of God says, contrary to biblical doctrine, contrary to biblical teaching. Those who are in opposition to that which is the truth of God's Word. 1 Timothy 6.3 says it this way, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness. So here we have the definition taking it one step further. Not only is it uh, the uh, leading astray or, or believing a doctrine that is contrary to the biblical doctrines that have been taught to us, but here he takes it one step further and he talks about lifestyle. He talks about the doctrine or teachings that are not in accord with godly living with godliness. And we'll look at this a little bit further because being, a, being a, a false teacher is not just manifested by what a person says, but it's also manifested by what a person does. So he says anyone who teaches a doctrine that's contrary to biblical doctrine, a doctrine that's contrary to Christ, or a doctrine that leads you away from Christ, or believes a doctrine that leads you away from Christ, and lead you away from godly living, this is a false teacher. This is what we would, how we would understand them to be. In defining it, 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4 says, and I, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to promote themselves in myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So we see that this, uh, the false teachers start off with they believe the wrong thing. They, they either have a foundation of belief that's not a biblical foundation. They're not getting their information from the word of God, but they're getting their information from something outside of the word of God which is what 1 Timothy 1 refers to, endless genealogies and myths, uh, psychology, philosophy could fit into here. And during this, during this generation, when this was written in the first generation, all of these things were, were, were super significant. Now, philosophy was huge in the first century. Philosophers were huge in the first century. And they were, they were, they were, and that's why the Apostle Paul warns Timothy that these are going to be people that are going to press you away from the truth. They're going to press you, they're going to lead you because they don't believe the truth. And we have that same principle being amongst us today with philosophers and psychologists and all different things telling us all different answers to all of our different problems in life. And, and, and the sad thing is, is that we as Christians are embracing this. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 where the apostle Paul is talking about taking someone to court. 
And he says, this should never happen. You should, you should never take a, a believer to court amongst the lost world who has no wisdom when you're sitting in a church that's full of people who have biblical wisdom. He reprimands them harshly because they're doing something that should never happen amongst Christians. In, in, in the same sense, we, we do the same thing. There are, a few, there are a few truths that I, I, I think what I would call our primary truths that we need to consider when we think about false teachers. And you want to remember this. It's not just, you know, we, there are primary beliefs that we would disagree with people on, and then there are secondary beliefs. That, and there are many actually levels of beliefs that we disagree with people on. And we don't, if we were going to separate on every, on the basis of every disagreement, we wouldn't have any friends at all, would we? So there are certain things we have to, there's, there's a line that has to be drawn in the sand that says these are things that we're not, going to, we're not going to allow in our lives, we're not going to allow in our influence realm, we're, we're, not, we're just not going to accept these things. And I just wrote a few of these down if you're taking notes. I think first of all, and, and I think probably most importantly is the authority of the scriptures, the authority of the word of God and the sufficiency of the word of God. That's an area that we, I don't think we can compromise on. And the Word of God is a foundation for everything that we believe. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. It's God-breathed. Um, it makes us complete and fulfilled. And so uh, the, the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture is something that we cannot compromise on. And if you're around people and you allow that influence into your life that doesn't hold to the authority of God's Word, then sooner or later you're going to be compromising when it comes to the authority of God's Word. I mean, folks, listen, we're not where we are today because we just kind of uh, showed up at it. We've been, we've been, we've been manipulated for, for years and years and years as to the veracity of God's word. When Satan said to Eve, did, did the Lord really say this? He's been saying that same thing for the last thousands of years. He hasn't stopped speaking the same thing. And there are certain things that we have to not listen to. And what is the world saying? Is the world saying that the word of God is true? Is the, word, is the world saying that the word of God has the answer? The world is not saying these things. So we have to have a place in our, in our minds. We say, this is, this, is, this is a line that I'm going to draw in the sand, and I'm not going to allow that influence into my life. I'm drawing the line. The authority and sufficiency of Scripture, the deity of Christ his divine and human natures, the sufficiency and and um, uh, sufficiency of his atonement, and and the fact that he was a substitute for us, or the substitutionary nature of his atonement, the resurrection of Christ and his imputed righteousness, salvation by grace through faith alone. None of these things are are, are all of these things are worthy of us separating from somebody. These are, these are truths. When the Apostle Paul says, if anybody preaches any other truth to you than that which I have preached to you, let him be accursed. These are the doctrines that the Apostle Paul is talking about. You say, well, Pastor John, we can handle it. No, we can't handle it. If the Apostle Paul himself is telling these people, and the, the Apostle Paul himself says, if I preach any other gospel to you than what I preach to you, he includes himself in that challenge in the book of Galatians, knowing his own vulnerability to it. And the devil has convinced us that we can take it, and, and in the end, we can't. It 
any belief system that presses us away from Christ is an, is an, is an error. And any belief system that presses us away from Christ ought to be rejected. These are beliefs that, that, we, can, that we must draw a line in the sand about. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is another one, and unrepentant sin is another one. And the Bible gives us some clear um, teaching on what happens when somebody is unrepentant of their sin. Matthew, 20, or Matthew 18, where it talks about if somebody offends you, you go to them, and then you take a brother with you, and then you take the church with you, and if they don't respond to that, what, what do you do? Embrace them like a brother, right? Because they're not going to impact you at all. They're not going to have influence on you. Is that what it says? Treat them like a sinner. Treat them like somebody who has rejected Christ. I mean, this is serious. In Matthew 5, the, one, the, the man caught sleeping with his, with his stepmother, and the church has just embraced it. And the, Lord, and the apostle Paul comes down on them very hard. He says, I don't even have to be here to judge this situation. This is clear. It's cut and dry. Separate from him or he will influence your church. These are, these are people who believe wrong things. These are false teachers or false believers right now that believe things that is influencing their walk and also going to influence our walk or the church's walk. So first of all, in regards to defining, it's one who believes false doctrine, but not only is it one who believes false doctrine, but it is one who teaches false doctrine. And we noticed it in Matthew 24, it already said, it says it over and over again there, it's one who leads others away from the truth. So we're not just dealing with people who are erred in their belief system, because again, we all have flaws in our belief system. But what we're dealing with specifically is somebody who leads other people astray, somebody who teaches error that's not, and that's, that's meant to lead other people astray. 2 Timothy 3, 6, the Bible says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. In other words, these false teachers creep into undiscerning homes, undiscerning people's lives, and undiscerning people's worlds, and they lead them astray, and they lead them astray by their passions, by their desires, by their, by their senses. It's, you could use the word sensuality here, is that they, they lead people into following their senses. One of, the strongest, um, one of the strongest reprimands in the New Testament is to sensuality, which is being controlled by your senses. We're not to be controlled by our senses, we're to be controlled by the word of God. Titus 1 verse 10 and 11 says it this way, for there are many who, there are, many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Romans 16 and 18, for such persons, from such persons, this is verse 17, you can read it. I quoted it a moment ago. From such persons do not, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
And we can go on and on and on throughout Scripture, and we can, we can see that the motivation of these, of these false teachers is a motivation of leading people astray, leading weak, weak, weak believers. Or, and I don't want to say that to demean weak believers, because in, in so many ways we're all weak believers, aren't we? In so many ways we all have areas where we are not as strong as we ought to be. But these, these false teachers are going to come in and they're going to seek out the weaker believer so that they can then manipulate them and lead them astray from the truth. I've seen this happen in, in, in many churches where the church splits and you find out the church split and you, you find out that after doing, investigating, and studying, what you find is you find there is a strong, a strong leader who comes in and starts to search out the weak believers and then starts to, to move them away from the leadership of the church and ultimately ends up destroying or, or dividing the church. That's the, that's the motive, that's the goal, and they know that these, these younger believers or these perhaps believers that are not as strong as they ought to be are going to be vulnerable to being manipulated. 2 Peter 2, 1, the Bible says in false preachers, uh, false prophets or false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And so these are defining them. First of all, it's those who believe incorrectly. And the foundation of their belief is either not the word of God or it's something in addition to the word of God. Uh, you have your Jehovah's Witnesses, you have your Mormons, you have, you, know, you have a lot of different even uh, other systems in our world today that are seeking to um, draw people astray. These are, these are not truth-bearing uh, organizations and that we ought to, we ought to respond to them accordingly. So we have to, and they're the ones that are teaching. So the, the, you don't, and you, you need to understand that they're not just ignorant of the truth. They're teaching to, for the purpose of drawing people astray. The second thought is distinguishing these false teachers. How do we distinguish them? There are four truths that we can learn about distinguishing a false teacher. Number one is, they are not distinguished by their appearances. They are not distinguished by their appearances. Matter of fact, the reality of it is, is that a false teacher is very, very good at manipulating. Very, very good at presenting himself in a very pleasant way. Very, very, you, you watch uh, TV uh, if you ever watch TV ministry or anything like that, you will know that they're not putting people on there that are not very, very uh, presentable and presenting themselves in a certain way that they are easily received and easily accepted. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. In other words, they have put on a, 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 a costume. They put on a costume as an apostle of Christ for the purpose of bringing deception, uh, deceitfulness or deception because their father is the devil and leading other people astray. 
And he goes on to say in verse 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So they're disguised. They put on a disguise. They're, the Bible refers to them in the Gospels as wolves in wolf clothing. You know, why do they wear sheep clothing? Because their goal is to deceive. So they're going to present themselves in such a way that is pleasant. They're going to present themselves in a way that is acceptable, is, is pleasing to the eyes, and maybe pleasing to the ears as well. And they're going to be, you and I are vulnerable to falling prey to that based upon these things. The Apostle Paul says it well in Galatians 1 and verse 8, but even if we, speaking of himself and the other apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach to you any gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, if anybody even comes looking like me and acting like me and talking like me, but he, I mean, he's the Apostle Paul, he's the leader of the church, he's, he's the foundation, if you will, of the church. And he says if he comes and he presents himself in such a way and he doesn't preach the truth or teach the truth, that he is, he is to be treated like anybody else that would come and preach something that is contrary to the word of God, contrary to the truth. In Revelation 13, 11, the Bible says, and I saw another beast rising up out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb. Why do you think it has two horns like a lamb? What is it representing? What does the Antichrist represent all throughout the book of Revelation? He represents himself as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Deliverer. The Antichrist performs many miracles and signs and wonders. Second Thessalonians tells us that he does it in the power of Satan. But his main motivation in doing what he does is to convince the world that he is the Christ. He is the deliverer, and the world will embrace it and believe it. Listen, the Jews and the Muslims are both looking for a, they're both looking for a Messiah. So the Antichrist comes on the scene and says he's the Messiah, and he, he performs some signs and wonders that, that are really, really unique to the Messiah, like dying and rising again, and they're going to embrace that. That's why, why in Matthew 24 it says that he will deceive many. If it were possible, he would even deceive the elect. And listen to me, that's a serious warning for all of us. I think sometimes we sit back and we sit in like this comfort zone of like it would never get me. And, and we sit in, the, in, in, a, in an unhealthy comfort zone where the warning that's given and the warning that's given to each one of the churches in the church epistles is given to a group of people who were sitting in church on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and the Apostle Paul warns them that you, you don't escape this warning. It's, it's for you. It's for me to hear this warning. That if I'm deceived, to say, well, I'm saved so I can't be deceived. He's writing to people who say that. He's writing to people who argue in this false sense of security who are not walking in the truth but have this false sense of salvation. That's who all these warnings are given to. They're not given to non-religious people. 
It's called a deception for a reason. You don't have to deceive somebody who doesn't need to be deceived. They're not distinguished by their appearance. Note that. False teachers, false prophets, um, they're not distinguished. Even Satan himself is not distinguished by his appearance. He can put himself, he can transform himself into an angel of light and deceive us. Number two, they are distinguished by their words. They are distinguished by their words. It says back, uh, going back to Revelation 13, 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. So again, the outward presentation is a lamb, but he spoke like a, he spoke like a dragon. And this is that contrast between the lamb-like Messiah and the dragon-like Satan, the, the, the going back even to the garden, the serpent in the garden. He presents himself like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. He speaks like a serpent would. Matthew 12, verse 36, 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And we can go on in, uh, in Titus we look at verses, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. We already read it in Jeremiah, in Deuteronomy. Um, really, throughout the scriptures, we see this, this same theme that what identifies a false teacher is his words. It's what he speaks. It's what he says. It's what source he comes from when he speaks. Is he speaking from the word of God? Is he speaking from truth that is found in God's word? Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 through 22, speaking of false prophets in the Old Testament, the Bible says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if, he shall say in, in, if, and if you shall say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You will not be afraid of him. And again, if you've watched any prophet uh, TV prophets or anything like that, and you, I, I recently was reading an article by uh, was um, Copeland. You guys are familiar with Copeland, I'm sure, the TV guy. And they were asking him the question. I'm not a, obviously I'm not a follower of Copeland. I was reading it for information sake only. And but the guy was asking him, you know, how how is it that you speak all of these prophecies that don't come true? And he says, Well, I'm not God. I get it wrong sometimes. It's like, well, that's not what the Bible tells us. It's a standard for being a prophet that you get it wrong sometimes. The standard is you get it right all the time, and it's because God is speaking through you. And we distinguish a false teacher by their words. What are they speaking? What are they saying? Are they speaking the truth? Are they speaking from the foundation of God's word? Not only that, but we distinguish a false prophet by their works. Their works, they lead people away from Christ. Not just by their words, but they point people away from Christ by their works. They point people to other gods. They point people to things. They point people to idols. They point to the flesh. They point to self. They point to some kind of earthly solution. They're not pointing people consistently and faithfully to Christ. 
It's not just in our words that we can identify a false teacher. It is also in their works. You think about it, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, when he comes and he addresses Peter because Peter's eating Peter has avoided eating with the Gentiles. The the Apostle Paul comes and he rebukes him because his actions are not consistent with the gospel. What the it's like that's no big deal, right? The Apostle Paul, Peter's just eating, not eating with, with Gentiles. That's his own choice. No, it's not his own choice. He is an apostle of the Lord. He doesn't doesn't get to make his own choices on what he does and doesn't do. The apostle Paul comes to him and says, "You you are misrepresenting the gospel by not eating with the Gentiles. His works, and we know the Apostle Peter was not a false teacher, but it was his works in that moment that, that started to press him down that road where, where Paul says, hey, you're, you're representing yourself as a false teacher. And, and, and Paul, wasn't, Paul wasn't kind about it. He talks about addressing him right to his face because he was misrepresenting the gospel. Well, what was he doing? He was pushing people away from the truth of God and his grace. And we find this in Galatians because we see through a man's works, we see through our works whether or not we're followers of Christ and whether or not we're pressing other people to Christ as well. Galatians has a lot to say about this in Galatians 1, 6, and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then in chapter 2 and verse number 4, yet because of false teachers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. And this is where the Apostle Paul addresses Peter because this is where Peter is doing this very same thing. We identify them by their words. We identify them by their works. And then lastly, they are distinguished or we distinguish them by their followers. We know them by the people who follow them. What are their, what are their children like? What are their followers like? This is, how we can, this is how we can recognize somebody as a false teacher or not a false teacher. Matthew 7 verse 16 says, you will recognize them by their fruits Matthew 7 and verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then Luke 7, 35, wisdom is justified by her children. This is why in 1 Timothy, the Lord talks about elders in the church and says that they must take care of their own household well. If they don't take care of their own household well, how can they be expected to take care of the church? In other words, you can, you can tell a person's character, you can tell a person's nature by just looking at their children, looking at what they have discipled or those whom they have discipled. So we can identify a false teacher by their followers. What are the people like that are following them? Are they prideful? Or are they humble? Are they greedy? Or are they giving? What can we tell about that teacher based upon the people that he's leading. What are the fruits of the spiritual leader? The last thought this morning is dealing with with false teachers. How do we deal with them? How do we deal with wolves? 
How do we deal with those who are seeking to lead God's people astray from the truth? And the scriptures are very clear on it. There isn't any real ambiguity in scripture on God's perspective on false teachers. Again, we read it earlier in Deuteronomy 18 that those who speak the truth and say that they speak it in the Lord's name, if it doesn't come true, then they will surely die. So the Old Testament, there was no... Um, He didn't mix words in the Old Testament. If you speak something and say you're a prophet and it doesn't come true, then then you're going to die. The New Testament, on the other hand, has a little bit more grace to be given to those who are false teachers, although he still wants us to deal with them harshly. He doesn't want us to deal with them kindly. Three things that I want you to think about. Number one, he tells us in the New Testament to test false teachers, to test them. 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not, uh, do not believe every spirit, but try the spirits or test the spirits, prove the spirits, whether they be from God, because many false prophets or false teachers have gone out into this world. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, do not despise prophecies, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. So we're told, first of all, to test false teachers. And what is our standard of testing them? Our standard of testing them is the word of God. That's what we hold them accountable to. It's like anybody else that gets up and preaches or teaches or tries to um, instruct us or guide us in spiritual things. We, We need them to come faithfully and honestly from God's word. And they need to use integrity when presenting the word of God. We're not looking for them to be rhetoricians or or great with their words. We're looking for them to be honest with the word of God. This is a spiritual warfare, and we expect them to use spiritual truth. John 8 and verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we test them. We compare them to what the word of God says. We put the spirit of those individuals to the test. And we test them by the word of God. The second thing that we're supposed to do in regards to these false teachers is we're to avoid them. Once they have been, once they have been determined to be false teachers, um, Romans tells us in Romans 13, 17, I think it is, somewhere in that uh, 16, 17, it says, to mark those who cause division amongst you contrary to the doctrines that we have taught you and avoid them. He says, mark them first. That means you've, you've tested them, you've proven them to be false, and now he says to avoid them. I mean, to don't, don't allow their influence to be in your life or in your world. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2, again, because this is happening there, that these people who were trying to lead cap, to capture these Christians and put them into bondage, that they were, he would not even give them one hour of his time. That's the the specifics of it, but literally he's just saying, I didn't give them any time at all. Okay, so that's important to note because it's like we, we want to have graciousness, right? All right, so graciousness comes in the testing season. Graciousness comes when you're proving whether or not they're false teachers. Once they're false teachers, you mark them and avoid them. Once you've proven them to be to be false, that they're not leading towards Christ. And again, not just with their words, but they're not leading towards Christ with their actions. They're pressing people away from Christ. They're pressing people away from Christ. Once you have discovered that, you are to mark them and avoid them because they will press people away from Christ that, that need to be near Christ. 2 John 1, 10 and 11 says it this way, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching 
does not bring the teachings of Christ. Do not receive them into your household or give them any greeting. Okay, just think about this. It's, it's, it's literally saying if somebody comes to your household and they're wanting to lead you into error, they're wanting to lead your household into error, they're wanting to draw you, do not wish them well. We, Pastor John, that's so mean. No, it's so nice. You're lovingly helping them see that their ways are wrong. They should walk away and be ashamed of themselves for leading people into error. We don't want them to feel good. We do not want to tell them to have a good day because that means the next person that they go to, you've just wished Godspeed on somebody who was going to lead somebody else into error. Do we want to wish them Godspeed? We want them to be ashamed of themselves. And that doesn't mean we have to yell at them or berate. It means that we don't wish them well. He says, what he says that he says, do not receive them into your house or give them any greeting for anyone who greets him takes part in his wicked works. So you've just blessed them. You just blessed the false teacher. And your blessing is from, from the Lord. You're God's child. It's a serious thing. He's literally saying that you've just partook in their wickedness. We need to mark them and avoid them and, ha and have no place for them. The last thing is, is, is condemning them. The Apostle Paul, we read it earlier in Galatians 1, 8, and 9, that when he says, he, if, if I preach, if anybody else preaches a gospel <coughs> that is contrary to the gospel of truth, he says, let them be what? Let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. This is a strong word of eternal cursing. Let them be accursed. This is no small thing. For, for them specifically, who, who many of them are, are, are um, unsure of themselves in many ways, for them it's not good. And the best thing that you could do is to cause them to question themselves. But for other people that they're talking to, it's not good either. Revelation 22, at the end of the Bible, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So, so in other words, in the, in the end, this, this whole idea of false teachers and false prophets who, who mask themselves and masquerade um, in, in flattery words and masquerade in certain ways that they're, they're deceptive, they're not to be dealt with lightly for their own good and for the good of those who are listening to them. In a world where false teachers are innumerable, I pray that we will be discerning. We'll be able to tell the difference between right and wrong and right and almost right. And that we will, by God's grace, respond to them. And that we will respond to them in such a way that they will feel ashamed. That they will know that their teaching is condemned. And ultimately, as Titus tells us, that their mouths will be stopped. What you want when people walk away from your door is that they don't go to the next door. That's what you want. I know it's hard to think about that. It's hard to imagine that. We're, we're super gracious, but that's what you want.
You do not want them to knock on the next door. So when you think about false teachers, and again, we're, we're in a culture today that they're, they're, they're innumerable. Rhetoric is huge in our culture today, and it's not just words, but it's now it's, it's religious systems that are pressing people away from Christ in so many ways. We have to be guarded against that ourselves. We have to be guarded against the teaching, guarded against the influence of it, and be watchful over the next generation and the generation that's going to follow them giving them strength and discernment to get through it. Let's pray together. Father, we, th- we do thank you for this time together. We pray that you'll help us to be a discerning people here in these um, last days. We believe that we're in the end times, that your return could be any moment, and we wait with anticipation. But Lord, also help us to wait with discernment. Help us to take this whole thing of the deception of Satan seriously. Help us not to find an, a... a um, unsafe rest in, in our sinfulness. Help us to be serious about these things, knowing that your return is soon, to be watchful and to be discerning and to bring glory to your name. We pray that you would help us as we go home today, Lord. Be with us throughout this week. May we be used for your glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.